Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. We have begun the beginning of the end <laughs> for many things. The War Games, Episode 1. I love this story. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yep. It's just, it's so good. And I know a lot of times we try to talk about things sort of spoiler-free-ish, but I don't think I can do that with this story. How come? Because I've seen it. I know the whole thing and I'm noti- and it's 10 episodes long and I'm noticing things here that um, are sort of echoed later on in the story and by the time we get there I'm probably going to forget that there were those echoes. So like there are things that I want to say. Right. Um, so I'm just going to friggin' say them. So if you are literally watching this story for the first time, maybe watch all of it and then listen to all of these episodes. We we might watch more than one episode per per recording as well. So Oh, oh yeah, almost yeah. almost certainly. We we just we like to watch the first episode yep. of a story and then talk about it just to, you know, dip our toes in the water so to speak. We do. It's I know what you mean. I was watching a video about editing movies. Um and good editing and bad editing, or or even like editing, just like it, you know, to to sort of construct a story on screen. It was, and it was they were using some like uh, Wallace and Gromit short as a an example. And the the key thing that I, I'm really excited to see where this is going. Well, the key thing that I took away from it is that you know a bad story is kind of like something that goes. Something happens, and then this happens, and then that happens, and then this, and it's just a piling on of events. But what really makes an exciting story is instead of and then happens, but then happens, mm-hmm. you know? So, like, you know, the doctor and Zoe land in, you know, in wherever they are, mm-hmm. but then they get captured, but then they don't, but then they get rescued again, but then they get taken back to the thing. But then, like, there's always little twists and turns, and it happens like. 10 times in this episode and it just makes you want to watch more yeah it's like enough stuff happens in this episode for an entire like an entire story (laughs) of some sorts because yeah you know here they are in world war one except pretty early on you get a, a hint that something's not right i think the very first moment is when um the Carstairs says uh, is asked how long have you been out there and he's here and he says I can't quite remember mm-hmm. and like that's that's a little bit weird and then you know there are multiple people who can't quite remember and then of course there's um, Smythe with you know every time he puts on his glasses and the music goes all weird and he tells somebody something and they just do it and believe him and him disappearing from his room so it's like okay so this is a Doctor Who story yeah. for sure but we don't know yet even all the way at the epi- end of episode one what's happening like where like are there aliens in world war one that are making things happen weird is this really are they really in world war one like what is going on and then again with a really good cliffhangers because the doctor uh about to be shot and then we hear gunshots is quite a dark awful scary way to end an episode right i mean if you were you know if you weren't paying paying attention the the guy never said fire. So, true, that is true. That, but if you weren't, mm-hmm. oh my God, he just got shot, you know? Yep, yeah, which absolutely. 
Yeah. Um, you know, and Carstairs, like, oh, not Carstairs, um, Smythe, mm-hmm. less than 10 minutes in, I keep forgetting how early the um, the penny drops where he opens up the, um, yes. the picture and there's this weird looking futuristic device in behind the painting in 1917. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it gets it gets weird fast. That's that is a thing that I had had forgotten. Like I, I was for some reason I was thinking that you go through maybe even all of episode one um, being sort of a straight ahead. They landed in the middle of a regular old war drama. But no, it gets weird. Like we watched um, Source Code, um, the Duncan Jones uh, and Jake Gyllenhaal film mm-hmm. this this weekend. And I had forgotten how weird that is from the very beginning. I was thinking you thought it was a little more straightforward. Um, so, yeah, that just tells me that my brain thinks everything is like re- remembers everything as being much more normal than it is <laughs> but nope uh-uh yeah and this is all like i think this was commissioned in december of 1968 by derek Sherwin once they realized that all the stories are falling through so they basically went to terrence Dix, who was um more or less one of the script editors on the show at this point and says hey we need a 10-part story <laughs> to close out everything because several things have fallen through. Can you do it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Terrence Dix, uh, I believe, had... How what was the story now? I think Malcolm Hulk was like his landlord or like they lived in the same building or something like that. And so they knew each other. They knew each other from a previous uh, TV series to Crossroads or something like that. And so he he called upon his um, his friend who had already written The Faceless Ones three years ago and crafted this this story in like record time for it to enter pre-production in like two or three months um gosh it's i feel like this whole story has experienced just an upward surge of adoration Mm -hmm. for years now because i think received fan wisdom who we successfully slaughtered <laughs> with the space pirates, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Took it down. Yeah, uh, I, I think they sort of had it. Till they were believing Terrence Dix's own um, sort of self-deprecating. Oh well, episode one's all right and episode ten's all right, but everything else is just a bunch of faff in the middle. But uh, people seem to enjoy the runaround because it never feels like a runaround. It's always quite exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like uh, speaking of episode one and episode ten, that's one of the things that I noticed and is the sort of the courtroom scene is echoed in like at the beginning and at the end. Ah. And I feel the same sense of hopelessness when I see both of them. Because like watching this and having, you know, Smythe just railroading them, not letting the witnesses speak and then just saying, you know, as and this is even before he puts on his glasses and, you know, tells the other guys that they're guilty, just as he's saying, you know, and do you have anything else to say for yourself? Okay, then, well, yeah. walk over there. Like, it just, it's intensely frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is also the way that I feel at the end, um, which, you know, we'll get to and we'll talk about. But I think watching the story from the fir- for the first time is very different from watching it you know, second or third time mm-hmm. because I know where it's all going and watching this story in the context of this, the whole show and the second doctor's era gives it a very different flavor because I know it's the end. Mm-hmm. And I know that after this, there are only nine more episodes and I know what's happening to the doctor and these companions after it. So the feeling of hopelessness that, and frustration that I got during that courtroom scene is really just like this m- intense, concentrated 
version of what I'm expecting to feel throughout the entirety of this whole story. Frustration and sadness. Um, because I know we're we're coming to the end and I don't want it to end. I know what you mean. I, I think in, in Modern Who, I, I think that t- there's a tendency whenever it's like a doctor's last episode, there's a certain, uh, there's an ep- operatic quality to it. It's an epic feel to it. It feels different from any other story that they're already in because it almost feels like it takes a universe to kill a doctor. Whereas in the classic series, I find that it's basically just kind of intended to feel like any other story. Mm-hmm. It just so happens that the doctor doesn't win at the end of this one. <laughs> and so this feels like any other story. And you think, oh, I can't wait for the doctor to see, to work his way around. Oh, right. He doesn't. Mm-hmm. He doesn't actually work his way around it. And he, he gets punished at the end. He, he does. Yeah. He wins. But he, he who wins shall lose, I guess, <laughs> in this case. <laughs> Yeah. There's also a great um, watch for these as as the as the weeks and years go by and the um, John Pertwee or anything written by Terrence Dix. Terrence Dix has often sort of said about how uh, he creates these little scenes where nothing. He and Mal- Malcolm Hook actually. I bet you Malcolm Hook wrote that that scene where Zoe uh, wakes up in the in the base there, um, loots around looking for the key. You know. Okay, obviously her intention is to break the doctor out. Basically gets all the way out, gets in, mm-hmm. doctor, okay, let's go. Boom, stopped. Nothing is actually solved, mm-hmm. but there's drama and intrigue happening in those two to three minutes where nothing is solved. And that's how you get around filling time mm-hmm. when you are, you know, to, to make it appear like you're not filling, filling time. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it is there. It is literally running around. Um, but she does also discover the... Uh, the screen yep. behind the behind the painting, the screen behind the screen, mm-hmm. so to speak. So you know, it's it, when something like that is happening, you're still getting a layer of of you know information. Um, you know, there's there's something being added to the story, but but you're right, nothing is nothing is solved because they still end up in back in exactly the same place that they were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, same thing when they're you know they're taken to the base and then they're like no 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 or, or, or taken to the um uh the trenches in the front and then they're like no no no, we don't want to go to this base where you know they're captive there they can't get away well then they're taken to the base and then then they're at the base and they're like okay well now we're going to be able to explain everything to the the general i'm sure is a nice fellow everything will be fine they get there they try to explain nope everything is not fine so it's just it's and then you know thing after thing well we're going to do this and this is going to nope and everything is not fine yeah it's like they have the solution in mind and they have an opportunity to present it but then it just proves that it's not wrong it's not like they have a solution and they're they're waylaid by something else before they get there you know they get to where they're going, which yeah. is, I mean, that's kind of what happens all the way through. And at yeah. the very end, the doctor is able to enact his, his plans all the way along. And it happens exactly the way he means it to. And still, he doesn't get away, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, another thing I noticed that I haven't really before is that this episode is directed by David Maloney. First off, I mistakenly said earlier that The Crotons was his David Maloney's first uh, time directing Doctor Who. It wasn't. It was The Mind Robber. Silly me. But the opening scenes of episode one of The War Games is very close to the opening scenes after the Doctor talks to the Time Lord in the mists of Scarrow of Genesis of the Daleks where they wander around, oh, it's a war zone, Everybody get undercover, and there's a big barrage um, of like you know an air raid, so to speak. Also directed by David Maloney, <laughs> so I, I wonder if like he just like almost like some of them are like shot for shot in a way, which is kind of. 
crazy. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I found it very interesting. Huh. Yeah, like was he doing an homage to this this other classic story that he did? Or is that just his style and he just did it the same way because that's the way he does things? Hey, I repeat myself in podcasts. I imagine yes. that maybe David Maloney over the course of six years might have repeated things uh, without him really realizing it. Yeah, I think that's probably a lot more likely. Having listened to almost all the episodes of uh, many of your podcasts, yeah. yeah, you do repeat yourself sometimes. Sorry. No, that, that's fine, because the more you repeat yourself, the more I remember those things that you said. So that's, that's how I learn. I wouldn't expect anyone to remember something I said in episode 28 of Radio Free Scarl <laughs> that I then say again in episode 678 or something like that. Yeah, that would be unreasonable. Yeah. Similar thing goes for this very podcast here, because we've done this for like almost four years now. I feel like we've repeated ourselves an awful lot, so yeah. Yeah, kind of like Doctor Who, I suppose, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to talk about how much I like uh, uh, Lady Jennifer right off the bat. Yes, Jane Sherwin, wife of producer Derek Sherwin. Oh, that's right. I knew that. I'd yeah. forgotten. I just love it <laughs> when she very first, her very first appearance on screen, <laughs> it's just very stiff upper lip British. Like, there's bomb, there's bin bombs going off, blah, blah, blah. Oh, hello there. What are you, what are you folks doing here? Like, basically, she's just so casual about it. I, I will interject just to have the actual quote. I say, <laughs> she actually says, I say, what are you three doing here? Yep. Exactly. It's it is delightful and wonderful. I mean, you could consider that perhaps the very first clue that something not exactly right is going on here. Except that's not really it because that's just who she is yeah. in this uh, in this situation, uh, I guess. Um, and yeah, and she just that she just I, it seems so cool. Like mm-hmm. she's she's not frightened by what's happening, even when she's being. Um, you know, waylaid by the the German troops. Yeah. She's just very cool under pressure, which, I mean, that's that's the kind of person that you need to be if you're going to want to be driving an ambulance around a war zone. Mm-hmm. So she is very well, um, <laughs> I wanted to say well cast. She is well cast, but I mean, like, her character is very well hired, recruited. I don't know. Um, she she fits the uh, the job that she has, and I just really appreciate watching her do it. Me too. I also appreciated and liked how... You know, with Jamie and Zoe clueless as to what, you know, era they're in. Um, and this is, you know, World War One at the time was like 50 years old. Uh, and so there are lots of people who still remember it and are alive to remember it. And, you know, when it when it's something that's described as something alien to two people who are not familiar with it, even though they're from Earth, they're not from that same time. It just, it made it feel like it was this fictitious, you know, space war or something mm-hmm. between two races, but no, this is something that actually happened. And, and you know, to for Doctor Who to sort of like do that, I, I, I think, you know, we sort of look at war a little differently than they did 50 years ago because, mm-hmm. you know, to, to ha- even the opening sequence of like the flashes of like the war yeah. games and the and the air raids and stuff like, you know, World War One was only like 25 years before this. Mm-hmm. You know, just think of like how much like PTSD would be like brought back to some of these mm-hmm. people who would watch that. Yeah. But, you know, they they didn't really look at war that way there's even there where Carstairs says oh supposed to have a bit of touch of the old shell shock oh I'm too embarrassed to talk about it though like that's kind of what the uh, you know thought process was for that sort of thing around then 
Yeah, it was much more sort of a part of life, whereas now I think we're much more insulated, even though there are armed conflicts going on all over the place and there are, you know, people from both of our countries uh, involved in that sort of thing. I think the people sitting at home are a lot more insulated from it, um, certainly than they would have been in in Britain at that time, um, especially considering how Britain was was hit so hard by World War II that uh, it left you know scars on the psyche of the entire nation in a way it certainly didn't with the United States. And I, I can't say for sure about Canada, but probably not. We know we know we never fought. There's never anything fought on our soil. So mm-hmm. yep, yeah. So this I, I feel like this story takes on a completely not completely, but it takes on a very different and sort of deeper flavor when you think about it from the perspective of as you said the people who were watching it at the time it came out mm-hmm. and the people who were watching it in the UK where um, where this war was was a you know different thing and war in general like you said was was definitely a different thing than than sort of the way we look at it now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah very dark time but uh setting of our for a very wonderful doctor who story which we're 10% of the way through now <laughs> oh my goodness, you're right. Yeah. That's just math. It's easy math. Yay, 10-part stories, easy math. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yet another great thing about... That's, that's yet another thing about the War Games that sets it above all other Doctor Who stories, that the math is easy. Yes, we decimalized Doctor Who, mm-hmm. made everything 10 parts. Around the same time, I think they decimalized uh, the money, I think, around the same time. Oh. Close to 70, 71, I don't remember, yeah. I, just call me Susan, because I don't know. <laughs> that's... That's a callback. 20 pounds. Oh, 10 pounds is a shilling. Tw- I don't remember. Ace has to repeat it and remembers that Alex and I can't remember what it is. Oh, interesting. Yeah, to number shillings and pounds and whatnot. Wow. So you, you've learned a lot from Doctor Who. I've learned so much from Doctor Who. As you probably have about World War One. I, I bet. Uh, honestly, this is more than I learned about World War One in school. We didn't get to that point. Yeah, because it only started in 1917 for you. The uh, my history teacher in high school was a huge Civil War buff, like right. Amer- the U.S. Civil War. So we spent something like two or three months on the Civil War, so much time. So by the time we got to the end of the year, we didn't have time to cover World War One and World War Two. So I never learned about World War Two like at all, and very little about World War One. He basically said, "Here's a couple of books you should probably read them before you take the advanced placement test." <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. A Goodreads recommendation. That was what it amounted uh-huh. to. Would you like to know how many questions? Questions there were on the advanced placement test. This is the uh, the test that you can uh, take if you were in an, an AP AP class to get college credit and then not have to take those classes in college. So this is like a big deal. It cost quite a bit of money to take those tests. Uh, would you like to know how many questions on the AP U.S. History test were about the Civil War? I would like to know how many questions about the uh, about the Civil War were on this test. Two. Two about the Civil War. Two questions about the Civil War. Was, was the answer to one slavery? <laughs> I don't even remember. Like there was, it was a, a bunch of, um, a bunch of multiple choice, many multiple choice questions, right. and then like two essay questions. And one of the essay questions was about I don't, World War One or World War Two. I don't remember which one. And I had to absolutely BS my way through it. And I did well enough that I got, you know, a passing grade on that test. And got some I was able to start college as a sophomore um as a as a result but uh but yeah it was just because I was really good at guessing because all I really knew about was well I knew the revolutionary war as well because we started with that but but yeah up through the the, yeah my U.S. history basically went through the Gettysburg address and that was it (laughs) sad but true
also featured in Doctor Who. Mm, yep, that's true. You don't even need schooling, everyone. You just watch <laughs> Doctor Who. You will learn about the Gettysburg Address in the chase, and you learn about World War One and the war games. Yep. That teacher also did introduce me to Mystery Science Theater three thousand. So I guess I'm I guess I'm kind of on balance okay with him as a teacher, but still I was a little annoyed. I'm less okay with him as a teacher. Oh shush! Not everybody has to like everything. No, but we all have to like the war games. Well, you should yeah. watch it. It's great. Yeah, we we all yeah. If you want to be my friend, you better like the war <laughs> games. Okay, that's not entirely true, no, but that's true. Uh, anything else about episode one? Um, I also like uh, Carstairs. Lieutenant Carstairs. I yes. Uh-huh. He's he seems like a nice fellow, and he just I love his performance when he's talking about like you said the the shell shock, like the fact that he doesn't quite remember things, mm-hmm. and it's just it's a very sort of underplayed. He doesn't go over the top with it with his re- reaction to that feeling, and I mean I can't imagine what it must be like to be in that situation even under normal war circumstances. So you know it's maybe it is understandable that your mind goes a little a little wonky. Um, but yeah, his, his, his acting, I think his choices are, are really spot on. I like it. He is a good guy. Good actor. Appears in Doctor Who twice more after this too. Is he really? He does. Where? <laughs> You'll have to get to the, I'm going to see when you recognize oh, okay. him is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Gotcha. Cause sometimes you'll tell me, but usually I guess it's for more background characters and extras and yeah. people who play monsters. So, all right, well, I guess I'll try to remember to keep an eye out for him, but I'm very bad at that. Well, I'll point him out. Don't you worry. Okay, good. Anything else? War Games Part 1? Episode 1, sorry. I like the graffiti on the uh, sets. Yeah, I was trying to read what they said. Did you did you, did you uh, see? Um, one of them says Clapham Junction. Um, that's like in the um, in the trenches. Right. Um, so I don't know if that's like a label of where they are or if Clapham Junction means something and that's actually graffiti graffiti. And then in the at base, there's something about bombs, something. Yeah, yeah. there's something scrawled kind of like upward on the, on a wall right behind. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I just I, and from the very little bits that I know and have heard from people, that's that's not unusual. Like that was actually a thing. Um, the, the army guys would, would scrawl graffiti and slogans and, and that sort of thing around so that was a that's a nice touch yeah i bet you the info text on the dvds mm-hmm. probably has all that sort of information probably so when we do uh lazy doctor who version two when we go through everything watching just the info text yeah. <laughs> then yeah in 12 years we'll be back and we'll talk about that it might happen <laughs> anything's possible yeah okay um on to episode two and beyond of the last story of the 1960s then okay goodbye goodbye